0: Typically at this point, I'd have John
1: come up here and read the scripture. It's three verses today, so I thought I could handle it. (laughs) There are a couple of names in it, but we'll see how it goes. So um, Deuteronomy chapter four, Deuteronomy chapter four. And if you're sitting here wondering why is Brad in an unbuttoned flannel with a t-shirt on, I'm going to get to that in just a little while. Um, My shirt says, we love life. And uh, there are a few of our ladies who are around who have burgundy shirts uh, that say very similar things um, as well. And in fact, does it say exactly the same thing? Imagine that. It's like we planned it. And, um, and in just a few moments, you're going to hear about uh, a new ministry initiative here uh, at Old Powhatan and how you can be a part of it and how we need you to be a part of it uh, as the body of Christ. And uh, we're going to learn all of this through... Application from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 41 through 43. So if you would, just follow along in your copy of God's Word, and uh, I'll read these verses. It says this, Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland of the Reubenites... Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and in in Bashan for the Manassites. And this is the word of the Lord for us today, that we want to understand what God is telling us and how we are to apply his word. And if you remember where we are in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is basically divided up into three sermons of Moses. The people are on the eastern shore of the Jordan River they haven't entered into the promised land yet. They're on the land, the, the way the Bible puts it, the land beyond the Jordan. In fact, even today we call it the Trans Jordan. that this land to the east of the Jordan River is there. And some of the nations, some of the tribes have decided we, we got rid of the nations that were here. We fought a war and we already won it. So we're going to stay here. This land is good enough for us. And God has blessed that and said, that's fine. You can stay there. And the rest of the people are going to go into the land. And of course, the tribes that stay there, you need to go fight for your countrymen as they grow across the Jordan into the promised land that God has given to the people. But God has made provision for his people there. And Moses is making it clear. God's provision is his law. God's provision is his ways and how God has made a way for his people to be the people of God. And God is making that clear through these three sermons. And we just got to the end of Moses' first sermon, kind of his last will and testament to the people of Israel. And at the end of his first sermon, we get this little aside before John's going to pick up next week with the second sermon. And this little aside says, in between sermons, basically, or at some point, Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, where the people were, that there were three cities of refuge set up there. And this reminds us of what happened in Numbers 35. So what happened for them a few months ago and what happened for us a few months ago in Numbers 35, that God had ordained that cities would be set up in this promised land as a place for the Levites to live. Now, you might remember the Levites are the guys who are in charge of all of the holy things of the tabernacle. These are the guys who carried the stuff. These are the guys who stored it all who took it all when they went from one place to another. They were the ones who set up the tabernacle. They were the deacons of the tabernacle, more or less. And they were serving in this way. They were the ones who handled the holy things. But the Levites, because of that role, were never given land in the promised land. All of the tribes were given a portion of land that would be theirs based on the size of the tribe. But the Levites were left out of that. They were not given land. In Instead, what God does is he gives them 48 cities spread out throughout all of the other tribes. A little outpost of holiness and godliness and servants of God spread out throughout all of the people. His mercy and his grace and his justice on display in these places, a place for spiritual and righteous needs of his people to be met. Uh, And then he, he says that six of those 48 cities need to be set apart as cities of refuge. This is a place where justice and mercy will meet. This is a place where God will determine through his people and in holiness what is right and wrong, where a person who needs mercy because they accidentally killed somebody can run to. Because they sinned against someone and yet, and they need justice, but they also don't need vengeance. Do you remember the law said that if, it, if a murder was premeditated, then it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? It was a life for a life. But there are many instances where that was not the case. And the Lord was working and even setting up in the structure of his people a place for his grace to be extended to his people. So he uses these six Levite cities and three of them are even going to be set up Across the Jordan from the Promised Land, and that's what we have going on here. And we've we've already preached on this. You can go back and listen to the sermon if you want to. Be great. I'll, I'll reiterate a few of the things, but just to remind you, what we're told in Numbers thirty-five is that is that the people of God now knew that there was a place that they could run to to escape vengeance when there wasn't intention of killing. Okay, so let me let me put it this way. You've heard of the kinsman redeemer, maybe it's a biblical concept that God set up where if we, we think of Ruth and Boaz, the story of Ruth and Boaz, where if somebody has a uh, if a woman has a husband who died, then the nearest relative is supposed to marry the woman to provide for her because she couldn't own land. And that kept the land of promise in the family. It provided for the needs. It made sure she wasn't an outcast. And and all of that was built into the grace and the promises of God. But that kinsman redeemer also had another role that we don't talk about a whole lot. But in Numbers 35, we learn about this. He was also a kinsman avenger. That when somebody was killed, that person's job, who was the closest relative, was also supposed to go mete out the judgment on the person who killed their loved one. And he would pursue him. His job was to pursue him in order to accomplish that. And so if you unintentionally killed someone, the kins, it's like, ding, kinsman avenger, not Iron Man or anybody like that, but kinsman <laughs> avenger, his job is to now mount up and go take care of vengeance. So you run to a city of refuge because you didn't mean to do it. Got me? Okay. And this is what we learned in Numbers 35. It wasn't just you run there and you sit there going go nanny, nanny, boo-boo while you're in the city, right? <laughs> You can't get me. That's not, that's not, it wasn't like home, like safe home base. There's reality that's going on here in verse 26 of Numbers 35. It says this If the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. You got it? If he goes to the city of refuge, and he's found to be a manslayer, not a murderer. And then he goes outside the boundaries of the city, this place where the Levites lived. And the, If he went outside of that, he's on his own. Okay. And then it says this. It says, For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession." And, and this is what God is doing. God is showing mercy where mercy is not deserved. God is showing grace where grace is not deserved. Because God is concerned about justice, but God is also concerned about his people. And his people, if they looked like the rest of the world, would just be slaughtering one another in vengeance all the time. Just think about how easy it is when somebody wrongs you to want to wrong them back. Or in your own mind to make it right. Right, we love throwing around terms like it's not fair, that's not right. We got to make it right. But before we get into a, just a couple of points here, I want to make sure you and I both understand this. We have a finite ability to understand what real justice is. We we have finite brains, right? and most of the time our concept of justice and fairness is what works best for us can we be honest about that that our idea of what's just and fair is if it works best for us now sometimes we feel really really giving and we say this is fair because it works best for somebody else but the fact of the matter is it's usually based on our circumstances it's usually based on our feelings it's usually based on a finite understanding of everything that's happening. We don't know everything. So how could we possibly know motives and the heart behind things all the time? Good news, God does. God's concept of truth and justice is not based on circumstances. God's concept of truth and justice and reality is not based on your feelings, not based on what happened to you yesterday or today, it's not based on your concept or anybody else's concept of fair. It's based on what is true and just because God defines what is true and just. This is how we know it. When bad things happen to us and we say it's not fair, we're operating in that finite reality and we don't understand what's right and fair. God, on the other hand, is taking those supposedly not fair things and turning them into beautiful realities in our life for later. Because God's concept of right and just is far different than ours. So God is speaking into the people of God to make them into a people who trust him for justice, who trust him for vengeance, who will really say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not mine to to bring vengeance. That mercy is something that God gets to distribute. Grace is something that God gets to decide. And what God does here in these cities is he's putting outposts outpost of a place where his truth and his justice and his mercy will meet so that the people of God can find refuge there. So, so look at just a couple of truths here. God provides for justice without vengeance. God is a God of justice. Things are going to be just and fair according to his standards, not ours according to his standards. And this is how we know it. As Christians, we know this because all we have to do is look at the cross, right? We can look at the cross and we can see that God did not just forgive our sins. He placed all of our sins upon Jesus so that the just punishment for our sin could be taken care of. Because God cares about justice. The book of Romans tells us that basically all of creation could look at God and say, you're forgiving people left and right here and not, not actually being just. So God took his son and put him on a cross and said, this is what justice looks like. Now, none of us would have come up with that plan. None of us would have thought that was the right idea. But this is what God's justice looks like when it is coupled with his love and his mercy and his grace. And so that justice does not just contain vengeance. See, vengeance belongs to the Lord in these cities of refuge would give a place where true justice could be delivered. Where the people could come and actually get a fair trial. The people could come and it could be found out whether they were truly manslayers or murderers. And so these cities were a place really of grace because wherever true justice is happening without vengeance, it's a place of grace. I mean, all of us would say something evil happens, something needs to be done to make it right. The issue is we're just not people of much grace when it comes to what's going to make it right. But God is. These are, a place, these are places where justice and mercy would meet. And often we think of grace as getting away with something. You ever think of it that way? Right When we show grace to somebody, we kind of go at it from this mindset sometimes. Well, they did something to me, but I'm going to show them grace. And I'll just. This is what we say. You ready, everybody? Because I know you've said it. It's fine, right? It's fine. It's fine. Somebody goes, no, no, it's not. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> that's literally, I, you've had this argument with somebody, haven't you before? Where they keep telling you how unfair it was and you keep going, I'm, look, I'm, I'm showing great, it's fine. That, that's not grace. Letting somebody get away with something is not grace. No grace has to be coupled with truth and with justice. Justice and mercy have to meet. We tend to think of grace as getting away with something. God looks at grace as actually bringing people closer to himself. Now, let me let me let me give you a picture, okay? These cities were a place where people who may be running far from God would come closer to the holiness of God. And that's where they would find grace and mercy. This is how God's grace works. It's not, it's fine. It's fine. Can you imagine if God treated us that way? That in our sin, grace looked like, no, 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 it's fine. Because what does it's fine do? Keeps us at arm's length. It literally, it's fine, literally looks like a stiff arm. But what does God do? He says, here's a place where you can run to for mercy, where you can run to for grace where you can run and justice and mercy will meet you here. Because God's grace always draws people in to who he is and into truth and into holiness and into godliness, closer to the holiness of the Lord. The Levites would prepare or provide a place of refuge and grace, but the perpetrator would have to stay in the city until the high priest died. Imagine if the high priest was like 23. <laughs> right? and you show up, what what are you having to do? Well, what's true here is this, that grace that's been given, God providing this grace, is not a grace that's without consequences. It's not a grace that's without discipline. No, God provides for grace, but it has discipline and consequences to go along with it. And the consequence is this, you've got to give up your life. If you want mercy, if you want grace, if you want to escape vengeance, you've got to give up your life you've got to give up your rights. You can't go wherever you want to go. You can't go back to your land whenever you want to. No, you have to recognize the, the sin that you've committed and then give up all of the rights that you used to have and give them over to the Lord to provide for you. Does this sound familiar to anybody? This sounds a whole lot like the gospel to me. Sounds a whole lot like what it looks like to come to faith in Christ is to say this is the life I live. This is the sin I bring to the table. And now I am I'm turning from that and grabbing hold of the grace and the mercy that's provided for me in Jesus Christ. And and that means my whole life. I don't get to leave until the high priest dies. Good news. Our high priest never dies. So you have refuge forever. This is what we can see here in this provision of the Lord. And and, and I want you to catch this. There were six cities spread out throughout the people. And I love the way it's put in this passage. Each of the peoples here uh, across the Jordan, because they tended to be the ones who were like, hey, this is good enough. It's literally what they did. They got to the land, they fought a battle, and they're like, we're we're good here. We don't need to go across the Jordan to what God's promised us. So they each get a city, maybe because they were more likely to need a city. I don't know, but it seems that way. If there's three for the other uh, eight tribes that have land, and you you get me, and three for these three tribes, maybe they were just a little needier. You know people like that, don't you? They just need grace to be a little closer to them. If you don't, this may be one of those. If you don't know a person like that, you may be that person. This might be one of those moments. I want you to think about this, though. God spread these reminders of his mercy and grace out among the people. Why? Because refuge is always near to the one who runs to the Lord. It's always close. To the one who would repent. To the one who would return to the Lord. Just like we read in the last passages. That if you will return to the Lord and seek him with your whole heart you will find forgiveness. When we run to the Lord, we will find refuge. We'll find grace, a grace that draws us in to true justice, to true true holiness, a grace that disciplines us, a, a grace that makes us more like the God who is showing us grace. There's another sense, though, that we can't miss here. And this was not just about personal holiness and personal grace and personal mercy. God was setting his people up to be a culture that looked different than the rest of the culture. Because if you lived in any other nation at that time, you just slaughtered people and killed people in revenge. In fact, here's the irony of what God's doing. God decided that the tribe that would be the people who oversaw these cities of refuge would be the tribe of Levi. And if you go back into Genesis and remember Levi... Levi was one of the brothers that when their sister got raped, he decided to come up with a plan where the guys who did that, he went to them and said, hey, we'll let you marry into our families and we'll share the wealth if you guys will just get circumcised. Men, grown men getting circumcised. And the men were like, that sounds like a great idea. It's a different time back then, right? (laughs) Like, that sounds like a great idea. We can make, we can get wives and we can be rich. So they all go get circumcised. And while they're weak, at their weakest, we read in Genesis that Levi and his brother go and kill them all. And from that point on are under a curse from their father. And from that point on is one of the reasons why they, he doesn't get to inherit land. Oh, the irony. That the one who would commit murder is now the one who oversees the city of refuge. Is that not the gospel? Is that not what a church is? Is that not what the people of God are to be? People who were sinners, saved by grace, to be agents of grace to the culture around them. People that understand that if we were still left in that culture, we'd be in a culture of death and destruction condemnation and shame. And God has taken us out of it so that we can be people of grace and mercy who speak truth into the darkness so that light and life can come into the darkness. And this is a corporate reality. See, most of the Bible is not written to individuals. Most of the Bible is written to the people of God, the church of Christ. And each of these realities needs to be something we look at together. So here's a way I want to put it. The people of God are a refugee people. Old Powhatan Baptist Church is a refugee people. We were, we're already told we're sojourners and exiles, so it should be a pretty easy leap to refugee. These doors back here, you walk in, these are the gates to a refugee center. Where people walk through these doors and they find refuge. Some of you have experienced that. You've walked in with shame and condemnation. You walk in and you find peace and mercy and truth and discipline and all that's wrapped up in what it is to be the people of God. But we, as God's people, need to understand that each of these cities was meant to be a place of refuge because God's people are a people who take refuge. And we're a people, like Psalm 36 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God, The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. David, in Psalm 61, cries out to the Lord when he was at his weakest to find rescue and refuge in the Lord. And the people of God, we are a refugee people who only find rest and belonging and discipline and holiness in the refuge provided by God. And so if we're a refugee people, we have to be a people who provide refuge for others. We have to be a people who say our identity as refugees opens our hearts to other refugees. And as sinners who have found refuge in the grace of the Lord, we extend that same grace to others. Each of these cities was a place for the Levites, a place where the holiness of God was supposed to be put on display by the presence of those who were tasked with taking care of the holy things. They were actually empowered by God, by calling and by his spirit to take care of the holy things. Who does that sound like? Us. That we are a people who have been empowered by God, by his calling and his spirit to take care of the holy things. And so when people come in the doors, this should be a place where the truth of God and the transforming presence of God and the holiness of God that brings all death to life, that takes darkness and replaces it with light, that takes curse and replaces it with truth and justice and mercy and love. And now we can be a people who live as trophies of God's grace, not as people who carry around our trophies of how much we've accomplished for the Lord. We understand that we were sinners, just like the people who were walking through the doors, and we've become a place where sin is dealt with, and sin is called sin, because then Jesus can deal with it and has dealt with it at the cross. And we don't hide our sin, because we're refugees just like anybody else. We were sinners who were carrying our shame and others will come in here carrying their shame and we point them to Jesus who can carry their shame for them. See, each city was supposed to be a place for truth and grace to be evident. A place that would represent what Jesus would one day do when he would come in tabernacle among his people and reveal the glory of God, glory as the only one from the Father full of grace and truth these cities were supposed to be a place where this grace and truth would be evident. And so is the church. Church, The church is the body of Christ meant to make evident to the world around us this, this truth and grace dynamic where we become a light in the darkness. And what did Jesus say about the light? He said, you don't hide it under a bushel. Put it high so that it lights the whole house. And we're meant to be that. We're meant to be a place where people would know that's the city on the hill. That's where I go in the middle of my sin so that I can find mercy. And so today what I want to do is I get ready to close. And yeah, that quick. Um, But I do something a little different. It has to do with what's on my shirt and what's on the maroon shirts uh, that you see around the church today. It's a new ministry, and in your bulletin, I hope you got one, you have this card. It says, we are a house of refuge. And there's a statement there that I'm going to read in just a few moments, but I want to I ask us to take this seriously here for just a moment because we live in a culture of death. We live in a culture of vengeance. We live in a culture of death. We live in a culture of convenience. We live in a culture where justice means And fairness means what's best for me. That's the culture we live in. And we are meant to be the opposite of that. Not just different, but distinct from that in holiness and godliness. In other words, in a culture of death, we're supposed to be the people who proclaim life and who give life. And we do that best as the church when we become a place of refuge for sinners. So I want you to know, First of all, that no matter what your sin is, if you're watching online, if you're here in person, that if you are in sin, there is a place of refuge for you here. A place for sin-weary souls. If you are in sin and you are saying, I'm tired of it, there's a place for you here. Because what we will do is point you to Jesus. We will point you to Jesus. We will give you Jesus. OPBC is a place of refuge where we want you to meet Jesus. Jesus, the priest, the king, the savior. We, we won't be a place where sin is overlooked, where sin is justified, but we will be a place where sin can be forgiven when we point you to Jesus. We will be a place where sin will be called sin so that Jesus deals with them on the cross. I think... People come to church often to hear about Jesus, but I believe we're supposed to be a place where people meet Jesus. And that's different. And that comes down to the body of Christ, believers who carry the same truth and grace as our Savior. The church should be a place attended by those who are set apart, those who have been gifted by the Lord as mediators between God and man and between man and God. And that's us. We're a royal priesthood. We literally say it every week. Each of us is like the Levites of old, sinners who have now been set apart as ministers of this grace that's been given to us. We understand that we've been reconciled to God by the grace of Jesus, and so we reconcile others. We say to others, be reconciled to God. So each church, including OPBC, is meant to be an outpost of refuge and grace, a place where guilty sinners find forgiveness, where guilty sinners find discipline, transformation, and new life. So in all, what I believe is this: our church should be a place where Christ is evident. And we do that best by being a culture of life in the middle of a culture of death. So The House of Refuge is a ministry, it's a national ministry that we're beginning to partner with. And Pam Hash is leading this ministry um, initiative for us as a church. Um, And she's done the research. She's got a team of uh, about seven ladies uh, besides herself who are coming alongside as uh, mentors. And this is the simple reality. Um, If we're going to say we stand for life, it is more important for people in our community to know that we are for them than that we are against abortion, okay? Because when we're for life, we will be against abortion. When we're against abortion and we're not for the people in our community, we may miss opportunities to save lives. So I'll give you a vision I had in my mind just even today. And I know Pam being um, in charge of getting people to work the nursery will love hearing this. Um, <laughs> Imagine our nursery ministry doubling in size because of babies that were born that otherwise would not have been born. That's the vision. Imagine families here who have an extra bedroom, an extra space, say we have a place for a child or for a, a family, or for a mom and her unborn child, we have place. But more than that, that we would be people who would say we have life to offer when it seems like death is the only option. So I want you to think of a couple of people, not real people, but they are real people because this is an all-too-familiar story. Powhatan High School is right down the street. Imagine a teenager, junior in high school, has never been taught that sex before marriage doesn't honor God. In fact, it wouldn't really matter to her if it honored God because she doesn't know God. It's not a part of her upbringing. Not a part of what she understands about reality. In fact, it makes no difference to her except that it's a real pain right now that she's pregnant. Because this little clump of cells, as she's been told and taught, holds no intrinsic value. She's never been taught that the nature of God, the image of God is imprinted on this baby being formed in her womb. It's not part of, it's not part of what she knows. Her sin is still sin. Yet how will we ever have the opportunity to tell her the truth about herself and her value and about her baby and its value? About God who loves her in Christ. Unless we set ourselves up as a place of refuge. A place for her to go when she's afraid and she doesn't know what to do. When maybe even that Romans 1 stuff starts happening. And the, the very nature of God and the understanding what's right and wrong begins to work in her brain. And she goes, I don't, I don't want to abort this baby. There's something wrong about that. I don't understand it. Where will I go? A house of refuge. Or... A family who's just in deep financial need. They have three kids. Their life is just a mess. Don't know what to do next. And they find themselves pregnant again and they go, where do we go? What do we do? Would it just be easier, more convenient to just not have this baby? Who can we talk to? Where would we go? Now we're not going to replace pregnancy resource centers. Pregnancy resource centers have a really important role, but is that not the church's job? Before it is a pregnancy resource center. Let me give you a third scenario. A woman who has had an abortion and has carried the shame of a sin that when she showed up to church the week before she had the abortion, she heard that you can't be forgiven that's that's what that's the mentality she got there's no forgiveness for people like her there's no life after that how will she know how will she know about the people in Jesus's own bloodline who were sinners how will she know about those who rejected and were even persecuting believers who, when God moved in their life, they became the greatest missionary in the world. How will they know? I just ask you, how will they know? The desires that they'll know because we will tell them. And that we will be a place where they don't just hear about Jesus, but they meet Jesus in us. As we show them truth and grace. So, in your bulletin, you have this House of Refuge statement, and I'm going to put it up on the screen as well, and I'm going to read it. And a couple of times a year, we're going to read this to remind ourselves that we are a culture of life standing in a culture of death, that we stand for life, but we also stand for those who seek mercy, who seek to be redeemed, who run for refuge. So follow along as I read this. What is a house of refuge? Our church is a house of refuge. This applies to everyone in this church or people you know who need a place of refuge. So if you're here today and this is you, you say, I'm pregnant right now. I don't know what to do. It would just be easier. I know, but I don't want anybody to be ashamed of me. I don't want anybody to know. I just want it to be quiet and private. We have counselors here. We have mentors here who would love to talk to you, pray for you. And we will make sure you meet them. If you're here today and you say, I'm carrying the shame of something I did in my past. We want you to know that there's freedom in Christ. And we want you to know that freedom. So our church is a place. and This applies to everyone in this church or anyone you know who needs a place of refuge. Next slide. Here's what we believe. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, please know that being pregnant is not a sin. And the child you carry is not a punishment. It is a blessing. God is knitting this child together in your womb. You may have made a sinful decision that led to this pregnancy, or you may have even been sinned against, but we want you to know that you are loved, and we will do whatever it takes to help you carry and care for this precious child before and after birth. Anything it takes. We can never support or encourage a woman to have an abortion because the child you carry is made in the image of God Is intrinsically valuable and loved by God. You need to know how we will respond. Here's what we won't do. This church will not gossip about you, shame you, or abandon you. This is a house of refuge, and we will not allow the family of God to harm one another with words or actions contrary to the Lord our God as revealed in his word. But here's what we will do. We will do everything in our power to remove whatever obstacles stand in the way of you having this child. And go back to that one real quick. We mean whatever obstacles. If it's financial, we have people who will help. If it's a place to live, we have people who will help. This is what we want to commit to. This is why the whole body of Christ needs to jump in. If it's a car that needs to be fixed so you can get to a job, we got people who can help. Whatever it may be, we got people who can help. Here's what we'll do. There are people in the church ready to mentor you so I'm going to ask right now, there are ladies here. Would you stand if you're one of the mentors who's already gone through the training and is getting everything taken care of? They're in maroon shirts. If you'll stand. So there are eight of them, seven seven plus Pam. And I'm going to ask, some some are already back there with the kids. And uh, I want to thank you for your willingness and your heart to go ahead and jump in on this ministry. I'm going to ask Pam to come on up here as I finish reading. Uh, but I want you, if you're here today and you say, I know someone or I need help, these are the ladies you need to go to. Thank you, ladies, for being willing to serve. These mentors are, people in this church are willing to mentor you, to throw you a baby shower, connect you with resources inside and outside of our church, local pregnancy resource center. We will also hold men accountable for living out their calling to provide for and protect women and children. Amen. That's where our men can come in, in a really profound way. Finally, if you have had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin finds mercy. If you've never gone through a post-abortion Bible study, we'd love to connect you to one so that you can walk in complete healing and freedom. Wherever you fit in that spectrum, if you need help, we have people who want to help. But more than that, we want you to meet Jesus. We want you to know if you know Jesus and you're carrying that shame, we want you to know the freedom that you can have in Jesus. And we have people here who can help you. Pam, come on up. Um, if you don't know Pam Hash. This is Pam Hash. Uh, Pam is a nurse. She's a doctor nurse. That's what I call her. So, uh, if you ask her about it later. Um, when nurses have PhDs, that's the way it works. You call them right. That's the way that's it hard. works. So, um, uh, and uh, Pam has a huge heart for this uh, ministry, and I'm so thankful that she sought this out and it fell in her lap in some ways, and uh, and has stories that she'd love to share with you of how this is already working in other churches. Uh, but Pam, I know that you have a huge heart for this, but tell me why you have such a huge heart for this.
0: So I I really have had my own personal. Um, walk with the Lord, wrestling with this issue. This is a hard issue. And growing up in the 70s and 80s, when it began, people began to whisper to women about their own bodies and their rights and all of that, and now it's just screaming at you. And um, I didn't really know how to help. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know what to do. And many times my experience in the church was it was pretty, a pretty condemning place. And, and women are scared. And I don't know if you know this, but just less than 50% of women who were surveyed who had an abortion had attended church in the four, one time in the four weeks before they got their abortion. So it is not outside these doors. It's inside these doors. And I just, when I heard about this, when Josh, I saw Josh Kappas speak, who leads this ministry, I'm like, this is it. This is it, where we can show grace and we can give truth because that's true love right if you love someone you're going to tell them the truth but you're also going to put resources around them and support them so that they can choose life and that's the most important thing to me so it was an opportunity brad went to brad and brad said i've been thinking about something to do and and the lord just has he's lined it up i started talking about it and amber and michelle harris and cameron and and Donna Della Villa and Brenda Branch. And Johnny's just ev-
1: back there, too. So yeah. Yeah. That's Indiana. right.
0: Everybody. All, yeah. Oh, Connie. Yeah. And there's just a whole yeah. list of you that have just like, I want to help. And after first service, I had people around me saying, we want to help. So you guys have a heart to help the community. And I think this is a practical, real example of how we can, in word and deed and truth, show people the love of Christ. So yeah. that's why it's important to me.
1: And I and I think we would all agree as a, as a family of, of, of faith that we love uh, life and we would say abortion is a sin and we would say that we value the life of unborn babies. Yes? Yes. Amen? But how have we shown that we value the life of mothers and fathers who don't know what to do? That's the next step also. We, We change hearts with truth and with grace, and with mercy, and with the gospel, with Jesus, and lives are saved. And we're not just talking about babies' lives. We're talking about moms' lives who sink into depression, who don't know what to do next, who oftentimes find themselves in impossible situations even after having had an abortion. So we want to be a full-orbed place of life. And I pray that you'll jump in, that you'll say, you'll come to Pam right right after service, and you'll say, we're in. We're in because we want to see life. We want to see a culture of life in and Powhatan and beyond. So um, go, go ahead.
0: Just, and I wanted to say also dads because it's hard on dads because like their voice doesn't even really matter in the whole mm-hmm. situation. And the other thing as a nurse is that in the OBGYN world um, today, If you are pregnant with a child who is not perfect and has... um, By their standards. By their standards. um, And has a problem, genetics, whatever, you are enormously pressured to terminate the pregnancy, which is, we all use all those kinds of terms, which is really, we want you to destroy your baby. Um, And the Lord doesn't make make mistakes. So there may be hard things, but we want to get around those families too. And so um, what I'm asking... Brad gave the financial example. Many times women make difficult choices because they don't know what to do. And so if my job is, as the point of contact and the facilitator is to gather the resources, deploy the team, and then point them to the resources that they need to be able to choose life. So if you provide a service, if you know someone who provides a service who would do it for free or discounted that we could help, or if you want to be a mentor, or if you have a heart for this, all you have to do is get in touch with me, and I here I have an email address and a True. website that I didn't know I had you before do. to be able to so do that. So there's an
1: email address. Let's pop that up there real quick on the screen, especially if you're watching today. Refuge at PowhatanBaptist.org. You can email that, and she'll soon have access to that. She, literally, she didn't know when she walked in here today. And then on our on our website. Uh, uh, www.powatanbaptist.org there's a banner across the top that says we are a house of refuge find out more here you can click there there's a page that has all of the statement that we just uh, read together and uh, and also contact information so these are the people you need to talk to you see the ladies in the maroon shirts but I want to I stop right now and I want to pray for this ministry as the band comes up to lead us in a closing song um, I want to pray for this ministry thank you Pam um, but I really want to pray for us. And here's what I want to do. I want to open up an opportunity um, that um, you would say, I'm willing to serve. I don't know what that looks like necessarily, but I'm willing to serve so that I can stand for life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up. You're willing to do that, to actually take a stand. Say, I'll do it. I'll, I'll stand for life. Don't know what that looks like. You don't even have to have any. Answer.